when I was at a public bookstore, I saw this big, burly, muscular guy. He was real tense, probably high blood pressure. I started talking to him and asking him why he was there. And he was like, hey, I'm here to pick up a book for my buddy. It's, it's kind of a joke, uh, a gag gift. It's, I'm just looking for a book on demons. I'm like, really? Well, that's interesting. Are you interested in demonology or do you, you know, are you religious at all? And he said, no, I don't really care about God or if there is a God. I, don't, I really don't even care about myself. And if I would have just gave him the gospel right then and there, I'm not sure he would have received it. And so I, I thought, well, let's handle the context of this guy's situation and how the gospel can fit into it. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Engage Your World. One of the most exciting aspects of Christianity is having the privilege of sharing the life-changing message of the gospel with others. We trust you will gain insight and encouragement as Matt, Jordan, and Greg answer the question, why do we need the gospel? All right, guys. So as an evangelism training organization, obviously a big part of our focus is on what is the gospel. And that's where our training process starts and what we focus on. But an important element to talk about that comes in time prior to actually sharing the gospel is the context. You know, imagine you just walk up to someone randomly and say, Jesus died for your sins and rose three days later. Well, I might have given the gospel, but I'm assuming a lot about the context. And that person has some knowledge or awareness of what even that would mean or why that would be needed. And I think while that's probably obviously a very silly example, you know, not many people would just randomly go up and start right there, but we we I'm not, I'm still not sure we often think well enough or or that we're being intentional about thinking about what is that context. Um, so I don't know if you guys want to jump in and share some experiences that relate. When I was in college, I had a really funny story. I went out one day and I was just kind of fed up with not having shared the gospel for any length of time previously, and so I just saw this guy and I said, "You, I'm going to go talk to you." So I went up to him and I said, hey, I know this sounds crazy, but I just have something that's really important to me has changed my life and I want to tell you. And so I just went into it right there and I was talking for like three, four minutes. And then he just kind of looked at me with his blank face and said, no speak English. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I just shared the gospel with someone. He doesn't even know the language that I used. So that was a really funny, very clear example of there wasn't the context between me and him that was necessary to meaningfully communicate the gospel. <laughs> I communicated it, but he didn't understand it. Right. Yeah. And we can imagine in the same way, if they did speak the same language, but we start using words that they've never heard or they have misunderstanding of, that's not really a substantially different situation. It's similar um, to the same sort of problem. That reminds me when I was at a public bookstore, I saw this big, burly, muscular guy come and he was real tense, probably high blood pressure. He had flour all over his shirt, like baking flour. And um, I went up to him and I started talking to him and asking him why he was there. And he was like, hey, I'm here to pick up a book for my buddy. It's, it's kind of a joke, uh, a gag gift. It's, I'm just looking for a book on demons. Like, really? That's interesting. Are you interested in demonology or, do you, you know, are you religious at all? And he said, no, I don't really care about God or if there is a God. I, don't, I really don't even care about my, myself. I, I don't have much value even in myself. And I'm like, wow, that's I've never, ever 
had a response from someone like that. Come right out. And if I would have just gave him the gospel right then and there, I'm not sure he would have received it. And so I, I thought, well, let's, let's handle the context of this guy's situation and how the gospel can fit into it. And so mm-hmm. I told them that God made us and that he loves us and that he desires a relationship with them. And I, and, and, and I asked him, I said, if, if you learn that God actually cares about you, would it change how you care about yourself? And he said, you know, actually it would. And then that opened an opportunity for me to share the gospel with him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. I think sin is a lot where a lot of people kind of start. They might start thinking, oh, well, if the gospel's to a solution to a sin problem, then that's where we start. Uh, but Jordan, I know you're saying earlier that we really need to think about what the true starting point of that story is. And very similar to what Greg was just mentioning. Yeah, you'll often hear people say things like, the good news doesn't make sense without the bad news first. So before we can talk about the gospel, we need to talk about sin. And I agree with that. But if you think about what sin is, you actually can't make sense of sin without making sense of why did God make us? What is it to be human? And if we look at the Bible, at what it means to be human, what we were made for, there are kind of three, you could You really could articulate it a number of different ways, but the way I like to think about it, there are three purposes for which we were made. First, we were made to know God. John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the purpose of eternity is to know God and Jesus, who he sent. Hmm. Secondly, we're not only to know God, but we're to love him. So when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, which seems like it would be related to our purpose as human beings, his answer is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then third, we're created also to glorify God. In Isaiah 43, 6 to 7, it says, I will say to the north, give up and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So if we look over across the scope of scripture, we see that God wants us to know him intellectually and personally. Mm. He wants us to love him and other people. And that in everything that we do in our lives, we're supposed to be pointing back to him, helping others know God better through us. I think that's what glorifying ultimately means. And so that's the glorious picture. That's the, Um, proposal that God sets out for what our lives can be. And it's in light of that, that it's such a tragedy when we turn to sin. Mm, Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're made to be in relationship. We're made to be in union. And yet as every day in our lives bears out that union, that relationship is broken, not only between us and God, but even between us and fellow man. And so, yeah, that's, that's really helpful, Jordan. And I think getting people right on that. And that, and that's that's the appeal of why there's so much beauty in the gospel anyways, is getting us back to that, right? And the new heavens yeah. and the new earth. It's 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 that going back to that original state, perhaps even better, um, having that union with God and that we're still able to have union with one another. So that's the, okay, so if that's the, the, the good news before the bad news, right? So as Jordan said, the, you need to know the bad news to know the good news of the gospel, but you need to know the good news of why God created us in the first place to know the bad news of sin and the brokenness that comes in. So what is that? You know, what is sin? We use that word, but what does it mean? How many people understand it? Yeah. Sin is 
open, active rebellion and disobedience to God. It is disobeying God's commands in our thoughts, our words, our actions. First John 3, 4, John says, sin is lawlessness. Yeah, so God made us with these purposes for which we were made. He assigned an external law through like the law of Moses. He assigned us an internal law through our conscience. And these laws are to help us fulfill our purpose of knowing and loving and glorifying God. And so when we sin, we are just blatantly going against what conscience, what the law tells us we are ought to be doing. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that can be a hang up for people that we really have to be able to overcome is when we use that word, people often come to mind, you know, really bad things, Hitler, right, or murderers, axe murderers. And for me, this was a personal challenge of uh, I looked around me and even when I was not a Christian, I saw people who are Christians and morally in human standards, I was superior to most of them, that I was more moral than many of the Christians that I knew, or at least they claim to be Christians. You know, I I don't know how many of them actually were or not. But the point is, for me, the issue was, well, I thought sinners were really, really bad people. And that I was generally a pretty good person. And I don't think that's an uncommon thought. And when we get this idea in our head of, of sin or, you know, go out and, and, uh, you know, someone thinks of the street preacher, that's just blasting people, whatever. And, yeah. and, you know, the, the unhealthy version, I think there are some that do it really well, but the unhealthy version, and they're just yelling these things out. And it's like, well, yeah, so those are the people, the real bad sinners are the ones that are the problem. But I think that's a huge mistake that we fall into. Oh yeah. That's a, <clears throat> huge misconception. We all sin. We've all sinned. We learned that in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short. And so now that we kind of know what sin is, well, what does it do? And, and what we learn from scripture is that it separates from us from God. Isaiah 59.2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. So all humans and all times, all places have either in their thoughts, their words, and their actions sinned against God. And that has separated, that separates us from God and points to a massive need for a rescue mission. Yeah. So, and it it lays out the the dilemma there. So what are the options here? Uh, we We have this big problem now. Uh, and, and it can be something, you know, as simple as we're, we're elevating ourselves above others. We love ourselves more than others. Uh, we love ourselves more than God. You know, that seems to be the, the problem with Adam and Eve is that they decided for themselves, they saw that it was good. Well, God had already said that it was good. They didn't need to dis- determine whether the fruit was good. They had already been told it was good. They were told not to eat of it. They weren't told it was bad. They weren't told, oh, this is the corrupt. bad tasting fruit. Don't, don't bother with that. No, everything was good, but they decided we will choose for ourselves what is good. And that kind of thing is borne out in our lives all the time. Uh, I think that kind of uh, sin where we will decide I'm in control, not, not God. I want, I'm going to get what I want, not give these people what they need. And, you know, that can happen to all of us. I think that's something people understand. Have you guys done anything else, any other ways that you've helped people to see that, that, um, that context and, and the need for 
what the gospel offers. Yeah. One of the things that comes to mind is just the word sin. When I talk to people, I will use the word sin, but if I can tell they're getting hung up on it, I will just ask them. So is there, have you ever done things that you're just ashamed of? Like, are there any secrets that you have that if came out, you would really be horrified. Like there are just certain things that you can't let anybody know. Like, where does that shame come from? Well, it comes from the fact that we know that we've messed up. We've messed up royally. And I think that's the reason for it. Also, I try to help clarify for people, okay, sin does separate from God, but why does it do, why does it do so? And I think we can tend to think of it as God just kind of arbitrarily pushing us away where it's actually for our own protection. God says that no one can see him and live. And so it's for our own protection that God casts us out of the garden, that God casts us from his presence. Because if we were to be in the presence of God with our sin, it would be like being a little piece of lint from a dryer being thrown into a fire. <laughs> we would just burn. <laughs> yeah, yeah we get incinerated. You get Isaiah, you know, woe is me, just ultimate doom when he, you know, has a vision of God. Uh, and he's not even getting the full vision of God, but uh, theophany and and there it is. And he's, yeah, he feels this destruction. Now, Greg, I know you've, you've actually had a fair amount of success at, at times um, using the living waters approach that if, if many of you have heard or seen Ray Comfort, he'll often use the law. So maybe tell us a little bit about how you've done that and how, how that's been helpful to help people see their need for what the gospel offers. Yes, there are some really good modes and styles of evangelism out there that are that I try to put in my tool bag so I can <laughs> pull them out and use them when uh, I feel like they'll be best for the particular people that we're engaging with. Um, and so I don't I don't do it exactly the way Ray Comfort does, but I do like going to the law. But prior to going to the law, I usually want to help people to understand that things are out of order, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you look at mainstream media, look at international politics wars, look what's going on in the world. Um, Would you agree that things are just out of order? And everyone pretty much agrees that things are out of order and they're they're making an argument that things should be better. And um, then I like to talk about, sometimes I'll bring up my kids. I'm like, look, look, I have, I have four kids, five and younger. (laughs) I have to mentally and physically exhaust myself teaching them how to be good. They have, they've got bad covered. Yeah. I mean, they're solid. Yeah, we don't have to model that for them. But it is. It's, it's good to, to build up, to kind of help them to acknowledge that, man, we, we really are just kind of out of order. But And then going to the law, because let's see what God commands of us. He tells us not to lie, not to steal, and not to commit adultery. And if you've done any of that ever, and that's just three of the Ten Commandments, if you've ever done any of that, you've sinned against God. And then when Jesus enters the scene on the Sermon on the Mount, he elevates the standards. He says, look, he, he, he equates anger with, with murder. About, in regard to lust, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so the fact of the matter is, God is ferociously holy. He's completely separate. And he desires for us to be holy. The only way we can do that is to acknowledge our sin turn from it, put our faith and trust in Christ, 
Yeah, no, that's that's great. You know, similar to what you said, Jordan, I've had some success with with people who were really kind of resistant to the idea that they were were really in sin. And I'll say, okay, so imagine this. Imagine that I could read your thoughts and I follow you around for a couple of weeks and I record every single thought that goes through your head and I'm writing it down. And then I announce I'm going to do, you know, a Facebook Live or a press release and and go and I'm going to read some of the highlights. Um, how comfortable would you be when that when that's about to happen? You know, and everybody does the awkward laugh and they get it because they know, yeah, no, I do, I think some pretty terrible things, right? Yeah. And so so we have this. Um, you know, another analogy uh, that I've used to help people see how even one sin is such a distinction from the perfection of God that it's a that that it it requires uh, the gospel. Uh, which was again a big part of the issue for me was just I thought I hadn't done enough to really need it on my own. Other people, yeah, because they were bad. But I'll say, so imagine you're in a in a completely pitch back dark room, no windows, no no light under the door, and we light one candle in the middle of that room. Okay, so you go from from total darkness to one candle, and then imagine, let's say there's another fifty candles, and we light all fifty simultaneously. Where did the bigger contrast come from no candles to one or from one to 50? And the bigger contrast is actually that initial it's, it's that any amount of sin is so distinct from the perfection of God and the created, you know, the way things were created that it, that it separates us completely. It's not just a little tiny separation at one sin. And then at two sins, now we're just a tiny, tiny bit more. That first sin is a chasm. And yes, we can be more in rebellion and we can fall further down. But that first one is such a big distinction that it causes a huge problem on its own. It's like, would you rather drown in 10 feet of water or 10,000 feet of water? (laughs) It's like either way, you're cut off from the oxygen you need to live. Right. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter how deep the water is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the grandmother who lived a morally great life. Right. Both. Yeah. Have just yeah. have sinned against God. It, 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 but that's the trouble is it's hard for us to get that because what we want to do is we put it on human terms. Well, that's a good person. And I, I know people and I'd still as a Christian be willing to say, oh, yeah, he's a really good person. Yeah, he's a great guy. But what I mean is, in human terms, relative to other humans, he is relative to God. Still, even the most uh, uh, you know righteous, upright people, compared to God, there's still a huge chasm. And this is this is why we're so thankful for the grace of God that it's not by our works that we do it. And then you know, next week we're going to talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? And we can get more into that. But but that's why the gospel is so powerful and amazing. Is is it's not what we do. If it was based on what we do, we'd all be in trouble. So I sometimes like to compare it for people to um, when they're struggling to understand why little sins deserve any type of punishment. I try to help them understand kind of what Greg did of look at the world that we're in. Hmm. What is the pro- what's the problem behind all of this? It ultimately comes down to people like you and me having selfish hearts. So if <laughs> right. God were to create a new world, call it world 2.0 and say, okay, this world isn't working. Let's move them all over there. And one by one, he picked you and me and everybody else up from this planet, put us on another planet. It would end up just as bad. So if God is going to be a perfect creator, if he's going to be a perfect governor of this world, 
he's going to have to deal with sin. And there's kind of two prospects. He can either heal our sin, remove our sin, or he can remove us from the creation to keep his created order good. Absolutely. And what we're here called to do is to let people know that they can be forgiven of the sin and the relationship with God can be restored. It's so beautiful. It's so essential. Yeah. And it's a hope people are looking for. They're looking for something to hope in. Even if they don't understand where it is or what it is, or they have their mindset on lower things, almost everyone is looking for something to bring that satisfaction, to bring healing, to mend brokenness. And so, you know, we get this idea and and I, I struggle. It's hard for me to just go up to someone and get in a conversation. But when we really take the time, whether it's, you know, inviting neighbors over, whether it's going out and being intentional evangelism, someone you work with, when we take time to invest in people and talk with them, many, many people are looking for this. They're, they're willing to have these conversations. They're not averse to it as long as we approach it in the right way. Uh, one of our coworkers, uh, Trish Anderson, was doing training for a group of high school age students. And uh, the church had actually brought in some people from churches that their their sister churches, I guess, internationally uh, uh, from Spanish speaking areas. And they went out and they were doing door to door evangelism, doing surveys and different things. And she said all of the students and even many of the adults were just blown away at how many people were willing to have those spiritual conversations that very few people said, no, I don't want to talk about this almost everybody was open to it. And then they had fruitful dialogues with. And so this isn't something that we're, people are averse to as long as we approach it in a, in a way that's productive and constructive. So kind of to wrap things up, guys, and summarize this, um, we talked about, okay, we need a context for the gospel. Uh, so Jordan, what is that, uh, the beginning point of that context, if you were to summarize it just really briefly? Yeah, so the starting point is how God made us to live. He made us to know him, to love him, and to glorify him. And then, Greg, what happens next? Why do we need the gospel? Since the fall, all men have inherited a sin nature. All have sinned. They've broken God's commands and thoughts, words, and actions. And there's a, a big need for a rescue mission. And we learn that the only way to be forgiven and to have our relationship with God restored is through our faith and trust in Christ Jesus alone for salvation. And that'll be a perfect transition for next week when we get into the gospel. Look forward to you guys joining us for that. We'll wrap this episode up uh, of Engage Your World, and we will talk with you guys all next time. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, Greg. Yep. Thank you.